I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spanning Zero. Welcome to another episode of Spamming Zero. I'm one of your hosts, James Gilbert, also joined by Brian Schiff. That's me. We are going to be joined by some awesome folks today. We are going to be doing an episode about a founding story. College students who want to start a business, this is the episode that you want to listen to. We're going to be talking about an experience of three college students who started a business that has grown and has taken some funding that I currently work for. So I'm so excited about this episode because this is the first time we've ever recorded this for the public. Yeah, it's funny. This is one of those stories that the three of us have all told about a, a gajillion times, but now we're doing it with a mic in front of us, so it should be fun. All right, we are joined by Jacob Cooper. Jacob, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Sam Crute. Did I get your, did I get you your name it. wrong? You actually yeah, got it right. See? A lot of people say Crut. You I said, said Crute. A couple of years. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is going to be exciting because I, I'm, I'm genuinely curious about some very specific details that... Uh, I don't know. Maybe they don't get brought up. But let's start with um, some icebreakers. So Sam and Jacob, of course, we've all been founders for long enough to have felt a couple highs and lows on the inevitable roller coaster. Of all of the highs and lows for, for each of you, what is the moment when you were really like, shit, we might be dead? Do we have to only pick one? <laughs> For me, I mean, we lost that original client back in June of the first year. We had one client and they basically said they didn't want to use the system anymore. And I had a full-time job lined up that I ended up going to and working at night, but I was sort of sitting there like, you know, no one, we're not paying anybody besides the intern who was getting, uh, I can't imagine what he was getting, you know, 10, 15 bucks an hour probably. You know, we're paying ourselves, sort of sitting there like, we don't have any customers, the product flunked, should we even bother continuing this? And we're actually probably about five years later, almost to the day of when that happened. So I have a tendency to be like very optimistic. I'm definitely on the like extreme optimist side of the scale. I can't remember a moment in time where I thought, oh crap, we're dead. I think we showed our resiliency very early on. And so more so there's tons of instances of like, wow, this could be a really big problem. And the fact that it could, in theory, lead to us dying was definitely a motivator to like really strap on our work boots and get to work. But I don't think I've ever felt a, hey, we're going to be dead. There definitely have been. I mean, I remember at one point, one of our largest accounts coming to us and essentially having like insanely strict security requirements and wanting a review within like 24 or 48 hours and myself and Jacob in 24 to 48 hour period. I don't remember. I think it was actually a 24 hour period becoming experts on like some super fine, like in the weeds security thing. And the next day getting on with their security review team and actually discussing it at length and going in and out and managing to save that account. I think those are the things that you need to do. And if, if you are nimble enough to be able to like overcome those type of roadblocks, dying is pretty difficult but i think it's it's all just a measure of how resilient you can possibly be and how prepared you are for those instances and i think the blessing and the curse for us is and, and we're going to dive into this more right we started this business when we were students which has its benefits and one of those benefits is time right we started working together and we were able to really like <laughs> right we, we fell down right it was really a uh 
one step forward, one step back, two step forward, two step back sort of situation there. And, and you kind of take your shots. And that is one of the luxuries, right? We, we had time. Well, we weren't putting a lot of time into the business, though. I mean, early on, right? Because it was, you know, Brian, maybe you didn't go to class as much as I did. Um, but, you know, we, had, like, we had other things to do, right? You know, we were students, right? This was, I remember, I remember working from like usually like 4 to 4 p.m. to 2 a.m., like getting on with the Ukrainian team at 2 a.m. for their morning stand-up, which was like a very small dev team we had doing work over there. And it was just, you know, it was so small and it was just like I'm working nonstop. Let's talk a little bit about how this story began. So the story really goes back to we, we first met when we were early in our time as undergrads and Sam, kind of different from me and Jacob, had had like a lot of exposure and even experience in and around startups and starting companies and kind of hacking things together and really was that initial like entrepreneurial spark. And then we took it and ran with it and it was like, okay, like here we are, we're undergrads. We want to start a business. We have no idea like what it's going to be. So we looked around and we said, okay, like Uber, right? 2015 is the darling of startup land, but it's not at Cornell where we were going to school or all these other college campuses. So we'll just be college Uber. And if we can find a way to build the product, then we'll be able to get all of our friends and everybody on campus to, to go ahead and use it. So took that as the initial idea, got the initial team together. Uh, and the first thing that we did was we applied to Cornell's startup accelerator program called eLab. Uh, for, for reasons I cannot explain, they accepted us into the program, which was kind of one of those, if that hadn't happened, I think that there's a good chance that none of this would have happened. So God bless them for that one. Um, but went through went through the eLab process, started building out the product. As I mentioned, certainly had our fair share of fits and starts along the way, but ultimately built that product, launched it in the Cornell market, brought it to a handful of other college towns in the upstate New York area. And it was great. Like we had had a very real, authentic, rich college startup experience, but then you're getting older and it's like, okay, what, what are we going to do from here? Right. People are getting post-grad jobs and as much fun as we were all having. I think that driving my minivan full of like shot glasses and car flags from college town to college town was not really the, the vision that any of us had. This was 2017. And we again took a step back and we said, okay, like the biggest thing happening in tech right now is voice technology. Right. This is right when Alexa and right voice controlled everything, cars, TVs, you name it, was starting to take off. And we, through the previous business that we had built, had been exposed to customer service, right? Just at like a very rudimentary level, right? Everybody's had the, the consumer pain. We got one level deeper than that under the hood, seeing how these operations ran for the companies on the back end. And we sat there and we said, okay, on one hand, you have this exciting new technology, and on the other hand, you have this, excuse my language, like big, hairy, old problem that has been persistent forever. At the intersection of the two of them lies, and Jacob is cringing if you're watching the video or not watching the video, but at, at the intersection of the two of them lies a pretty exciting opportunity to, in very simple language, make it so that when somebody calls customer service, they get an Alexa-like experience. So pivoted the business in, in 2017, built out early versions 
of the product through that year and launched it back into the like transportation market, working with really like mom and pop taxi companies. And yeah, that was kind of like through our junior, senior year of college, got the business off the ground, kind of took off from there. We grew, graduated, opened up our first office in New York. COVID came, which we'll probably get into a little bit in this discussion. COVID came, that was a, right, transportation, one of the hardest hit industries in the economy. So there we were getting knocked back again and needing to figure it out at the same time, right, uh, customer service is one of those horizontal markets that exists across all verticals. We knew we needed to expand beyond and, and e-com really became that next step for us. And yeah, we've been we've been growing ever since. Closed a big funding round earlier this year. So I guess kind of one of those like dorm room double pivot COVID somehow made it out the other side. And I certainly come back to the resiliency word that that Sam mentioned. All right, so let's get a little bit personal here. Who fought the most out of you three? Come on, that's up, Jacob. Who was the instigator? Ah. Uh. We definitely, we definitely shared that title, but in, in my defense, early on, Brian and Sam definitely argued more than I argued. I think that's fair too. Maybe not now, but definitely early on. So Sam, we, the, the first office that we ever had was a little like converted apartment in Soho. And we had a couple. Oh, that's such a great. We had a couple story. of interns with us that summer when we were there, and there was there was a particular heated conversation that that went on. You want to tell that story? Well, I think it's first best to preface it with Brian and I got very close very quickly, and we spent a lot of time with each other. And I think we're both just like, yeah, we got very comfortable. And you know, whoever says that fighting can't be productive is wrong. I think there is productive fighting, and. Brian and I got into this kind of, it just worked for us where we'd have like a two hour long phone call, absolutely just go at each other, never personal, always like purely business, talking about ideas and so on. And then we'd come out of that phone call and we'd have like great action points and next steps and we would find middle ground. And I think Jacob, you really early kind of learned, all right, they're going to do one of those. You'd go like, all right, guys, I'm getting back to work. Let us argue for two hours. And we'd like DM you. This is a, this was the outcome and you'd be like, awesome. And we had this one intern that we, how this, it was structured. It was like a Soho penthouse that I think, I don't know how we managed to get for pennies on the dollar on like some sublease. I think a company went under the bottom floor was like a converted office. The top floor, which was supposed to be a bedroom was the conference room. And there's a meeting, Brian and I get into one of our classic arguments. I don't even remember what it's about. Everybody kind of packs their bags and goes downstairs, kind of knows the drill. And this intern decides to stay. And then he starts mediating it. And Brian would say something at me and the intern would go, I think he was like a sophomore in college. And he'd go and say something like, that was a great point, Brian. Sam, what do you think? And after like five minutes of this, Brian like turn and I both turned him and we're like I don't even know if we said it. And I said get out of here, man. And I think he got the idea and and booked it. But it was definitely a an interesting situation. Props to him to like have the guts to stay in that room because everybody else left. Yeah, he was staying in that in that room. He had multiple people sleeping in there all summer, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that did happen as well. So I'm a young college student. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know I have a good idea. I have a good product idea. I have really strong ambition. I have the entrepreneurial spirit. What should I be asking myself? You know, this was not my uh, idea originally, right? So I'm a, 
I actually didn't know about entrepreneurship. It was a bit different than, than these guys, right? Until until later, like I had not been, Sam was exposed to it really early on, right? I had never heard of it for God knows what reason. And I uh, sort of stumbled into it, but you know, and but really like if you like to basically own things, right? And not in a narcissistic way, but right, like you feel, you know, very passionately about an idea that you have. It doesn't have to be the big idea for the business, right? But, you know, you are going to work hard and communicate and it, honestly, it really comes down to working hard and trying to collaborate, right? And not being an asshole. Um, you don't have to have a big idea, right? There's lots of people who have, you know, great ideas out there. It's great if you have that, right? You definitely want more people, not a big team, but if we didn't have the three of us, if it was just two, I think it'd be a heck of a lot harder. I can't imagine trying to be the solo founder of something unless you had a lot of money backing you. Find a couple people who are going to work just as hard as you, right? And who you're not going to mind spending long hours with and just see what you can do, right? Try not to say no early on and go from there. But you don't have to, you don't have to have that big idea. It was honestly like entrepreneurs is the most exciting thing, like doing working at Red Route, um, or it wasn't really a company barely at that point, more like on no nothing. That was the most exciting thing that I had done in school, for sure. And I also think I learned the most doing that. No disrespect to the professors or anything like that. But, you know, this was, I got the most out of this, for sure. Love that. What about you, Sam? So I think when, whether you follow, like, inspirational startup pages online or where is it, everybody says, like, a few things that parallel each other. One, like, founding team and how important that is. Early hires, how important that is. How hard it is. You're not going to work hard. You're not going to succeed. But there's one piece of advice my uncle uh, gave me very early on. So my, I have quite a few people in my family that come from entrepreneurial backgrounds. And he told me, just remember, an idea is only as good as the execution of the idea. And I think you speak with early founders and somebody comes, to, especially through the app boom, which seems like it's slowing or it did slow over the last few years. The first thing everybody would do is go into the app store and see if their idea already exists. And, oh, this one might have three stars or this one might have two downloads and then completely drop their idea because somebody has done it. But the reality is you can have 10 people try the same thing and one's going to be the unicorn and everybody else is going to fail because it's all about how you execute. And so the question I think you got to consistently be asking yourself is the reality is you're not first to market. Somebody has tried this, whether it be in a dorm room project, whether it be in the garage, whether they got a few customers, why did they fail? What are you going to do different? And why are you going to succeed? And what portion of your execution is going to drive that success? So I think the biggest, yeah, the biggest piece of advice I would, I would give any founders really think about how you're going to market and what's going to differentiate you from anybody else, especially somebody that has tried this and failed. Really good advice. Brian, you're up to the plate. Unsurprisingly, before the two of these guys spoke, my answer was going to be along the same lines of theirs. Right when I speak to, so lame. Come well, on. no, hey, that was just that was just the yeah. prelude. I was I was then going to go into an original answer. <laughs> so yeah, you, you got to just jump in, right? That that's the part one of it. You, you got to jump in and just start going. The second piece of it is there right there, there's something that it, that kind of floats around out there in startup sphere and it's and I'm paraphrasing here it's something to the tune of first time founders obsess over product and second time founders obsess over distribution and it always piques my ear when I talk to a somebody that is like really like day 0 day negative 1 and they're already thinking about the distribution of their product. And there's so much excitement about the product, right? Like we, I still have notes 
in, in my phone that are like literally pages upon pages of feature ideas for the college Uber app that we built and then moved on from before 10% of those things had become a reality. There's a lot of, in first-time founders and founders generally, there's a lot of kind of over-indexing on, on the product side and not thinking about them and as kind of two halves of the same whole. And then from the product side, the more people who are using it, right, the more you realize what features are important. And so you don't end up wasting a lot of time either, or at least as much as you would if you just started building feature after feature. The one more that I got to throw in there, if I talk to another founder that the first thing that they're doing and the thing that they're hanging their hat on is that they ran surveys and people responded to the surveys and said that they wanted their product. Like, I, I love talking to founders. I'm not interested in those conversations. You know if you're onto something and if people want what you're building based on whether they will pay for it and whether they will use it and everything else until then. So like, it's all about, right. Optimize for learning. And the first thing that you need to learn is do I have something that people want? And the way that you know, if you have something that people want is whether they use it and whether they pay for it. So that's another, I guess, pet peeve of mine. <laughs> that's some fire right there, Brian. You're calling out a lot of people. With that. Yeah. Not sure where it came from, to be honest. <laughs> Remember what we used to say, Brian? We'd launch customers, we'd get a signed contract, and we'd always say that the date we actually know how happy they are is when they pay that first invoice. You can get a signed contract, you can get signed commercials, a lock-in, and so on, but until somebody pays that first invoice, you have absolutely no clue if they love your product or not. We get so paranoid about the date that first invoice is sent out. Okay, so gentlemen, one of the things I'd like to know is, you know, when you look back at the very beginning of starting this company, and maybe even Sam and your experience from starting the several that you started, what's the moment where you wanted to redo? Or what's a failure that you learned from? That's a really interesting question. I think there's a few things. One, when whether I started this one or others, when we started the company, we were really young. And being young, we had something to prove. We were not necessarily taken seriously. And we essentially had to punch our way out of that. And while punching our way out of that, we burned bridges. And you know, you growing up probably heard dozens and dozens of times never burn bridges. But the reality is I, I actually don't even know if there was a way we could have gotten necessarily to where we're at today without burning some bridges along the way. But if I could get a redo and figure out how to not burn those bridges, it would save me a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of work that we had to put in after the fact. And so what I, what I would say is number one is there's going to be adversity along the way. There's going to be people that want you to fail and even do things to make sure you fail. And the way you respond to that, whether you, you know, turn the other cheek, whether you fight back and so on, I'm not necessarily advocating to, uh, for being Switzerland here either being entirely pacifist. Like you sometimes need to fight back. But the way you do that and the way others perceive you, whether it's a week from now, two weeks from now, a year from now, or two years from now, it's going to come back. It always does. If I could get a redo, I would bet Jacob and Brian both agree with me. We could get a redo and mend some relationships that were hurt along the way, we certainly would do so. And then I, I feel like every founder has like kind of a list of, for me, it's like various things we did in terms of going to market, some partnerships we established, some sales motions we put in place that I would have loved to do differently. But the other side of it is we also didn't know. And you can't really hurt yourself for things or like dwell on things you didn't know about. So of course, looking back, I'd love to change some of those things. But at the time, I didn't have the visibility that I do have now. I think this is a little bit of a tough, tough question. And it's hard to find, right? We stumbled at every point you could stumble, but it's tough to not 
find like very direct and influential learnings that came from those stumbles, which makes it hard to look and, and say like a true redo sort of thing. What, what I would say is when you get to the place where, where you have something, right? And, and you get to the place where now you have capital to invest in building the business. If you're building a tech company, right? I, I guess to like narrow the walls to that, a little bit, 80%, 70% of, of the money that you're spending is going towards the team that you hire and the people, right? The people are everything. And, and those hires that you make in, in the early days, but I don't know if it's ever going to end, certainly hasn't ended yet, but those, those hires are, are so important. And I feel like for us, there was almost always more of a premium put on what are the projects, the deals, the things that we're doing inside the business in any given moment. And one of the aspects that got hurt from that was less time was getting put into really being thoughtful around the people that we wanted to bring into the business. And I think that that certainly held us back. You know, Brian, though, saying that, we had the saying early in, let's just get really smart people into the business and they'll find their place. And looking back at that now, I, we were blessed with working with some remarkably smart people. But if I could get somebody in the door that has solved the problem in the exact function that we want them in, rather than somebody that is like very, very smart, I would pick the person that has solved the exact problem almost every single time. And I think if you look at employees that are no longer with us today, or employees that, you know, we, we had to, whether we fire, parted ways, left on their own accord, it was never a matter of like, are they smart or are they not? The reality is, I think you can test for somebody being smart, but the reality, most of the time it's, we would hire really smart people, say like they're going to own this function most of the time they had never owned that function in the past and they either did failed or we very quickly outgrew them and so if we can turn around and just have people there every single time and it's how we hire now we don't hire people that haven't excelled in the function that we're putting them in i think it goes especially for young people who have been around uh, for longer right obviously junior or junior employees you know haven't seen that but Definitely people who are taking leadership roles um, is a big thing. And that was part of my answer, uh, Brian, was going to be like, you know, it's really hard to find people, right, that, you know, the hiring process is so short, right? There's a lot of options out there, right? We're competing with the company is, and, you know, you don't necessarily know what you need, right, in a year, the person. And it's it's just a, it's a really challenging puzzle to try to solve. But the other one, I guess, that I would, uh, I would say um, is kind of related to Brian's, but... You know, when we, we hired very early out of our network, right, which was great, people were not getting paid much at all, if anything at all, right, just like we weren't getting paid much at all, right, and they were a lot like us early on. And over time, we sort of lost that, you know, being able to hire out of our networks very easily. Now, not that we had big networks, you know, it was us coming out, first business, right, with very little funding, you know, there's just not a lot of support there. But I will say that, you know, if you, you know, if you can balance, you know, trying to find people who are out there with people that you know, right? People that you trust. The hiring process is so hard and so short that if you can know that the person is good with as much certainty as possible, that's just the move you want to make. And hiring out of our networks, I mean, I'm, I think I hired at least three or four of my good friends um, for business at one point or another. A couple of them are still here. I would say like continuing to kind of grow the network that we all had and just sort of, you know, like really invest in that. I'm not a big social media person and did not 
really understand the value of that. We also weren't hiring for a while, right? During, especially during COVID. So it kind of, you kind of look back like, is that really where we should spend our time? But after the fundraise, you know, we came and we were like, okay, you know, we have to fill all of these roles. I'm hiring for more, you know, double the size of the team then. You know, engineering and product. I looked around my network and I was like, I basically hired everyone that I know already who would be interested in this. And it'd be great to like be able to you know go and revisit that stage. Um, but it was harder to hire the second go around for sure. Um, we got lucky. We found people who we, were in our networks later on um, for some of the roles. There are amazing people who are not in network. It's more of just finding a balance and not having to rely on you know put all your eggs in one basket. Great answers, Jacob, Sam, Brian. Thank you for joining us on this episode and hearing the founding stories from three founders. And I would love it if you guys could um, give the audience a little bit of a flavor of what the future looks like for each one of you. I mean, I'm gonna be here. <laughs> That's not exactly what I meant. Like, well, <laughs> we better all be here. <laughs> what I mean is tell the listeners, like specifically, Jacob, from your perspective, what is the world gonna look like in a year from now, under Jacob's realm, at Red Route, what is the product gonna look like? Sam, what is the world gonna look like as a, as a co-founder and CRO? Brian, what's it gonna look like as a CEO? A year from now, I mean, it's it's crazy because like in the last six months, the team has just changed, the product has changed a lot. Um, and so it just makes me very excited for the next year. The first thing, right, which is, you know, a couple, a few months away, I would say, is the product becoming sexy. Um, as I would as I would put it, right? Like that's the uh, that's a big hurdle that we've we've had, right? With a small team using off the shelf tools and now starting to build our own for some of the things that really matter. You can start to have a lot, you know, exert a lot more control and and uh, over the flow and the, the function of the product. And I, I kind of feel like you know carrying that into that next step over the next six months, a year, you know, the product will be best of breed. Right, it will be the fastest, right, most intelligent voice product you can get out there. Right, also the most fun, which is a huge thing that I um, prioritize. Uh, right now, right, it's you know it does what it needs to do, and people are happy using it. And there's been a ton of stuff that we've sort of sat and have dreamed about building, and said when we have a team, right, we can do these things, you know, and not just building it for building's sake, or building this we think it's going to help more people, right, and make these calls shorter, and people are going to be happier with the experience, right, the operators are going to be happier with the experience, our customers are going to see more and more value, but it's really just product is going to be excellent, not that it's not today, right, but even more so, and the value that our, our customers will see, right, and their callers is going to be just, it's going to be even more of a no, it's even more of a no-brainer than it is today. It's actually an interesting question because I think over the last six months, so much has changed for me. As a founder, you're always balancing working on the business versus working in the business. And even up to late last year, I would, yeah, I'm the CRO, but I'm also head of marketing, head of sales, head of client success, head, of, head firefighter, as I'd like to um, call it really just doing everything from making sure invoices get out at the end of the month to uh, you know making sure we meet quarterly numbers and everything in between. And over the last six months, we've been so blessed to bring on an amazing head of partnerships. Obviously, you, James, in a in CMO function, um, Will, our new head of transportation, and so on. And, and I think that's just the start. I'm at a point now where in, in six months, I went from being on every single demo we're doing to finding out about them twice a week. And I think the team, the sales team is still pretty small, pretty nimble that's going to grow. We have a marketing team, which I'm, I'm sure is going to make our lives very fun. And then our, our, our CS function, our post-sales function is, is strong, but, but small right now as well. And so I think all of these functions, marketing, sales, partnerships, client success are all going to grow and going to grow pretty quickly. And hopefully it means James yourself, 
me, Sean, Will, we're doing a lot more of working on the business and not as much working in the business. So I'm really looking forward towards that to that transition, which it's it's happening rapidly and it's very exciting. I certainly have the benefit here of getting to go last and <laughs> rack my brain a little bit as as you guys were going. I guess I, w- I would take this in a couple of different directions. The the first and very obvious one that is kind of like personal and inside the business is is around around the team, right? It's been a theme of the last 10 minutes of this discussion. There has been so much change. We've brought in so many new people, so many amazingly talented and fun and just just great people into the organization. And that will only continue to grow as these people kind of get on board and get up to speed as new people come in, all of that stuff. So I think that will be very kind of like near and dear and front and center for me and, and for things internally. For the customers that, that we serve today or, or we hope to serve today, I think that what they can expect is a lot of kind of wow moments and unconventional experiences as you have so brilliantly coined it. You can see already the things that the marketing team is producing that we will be pushing out and we'll be touching our our customers and the people that are uh, kind of at these brands and these customer experience departments. So that's going to be really fun. I also think speaking to what Jacob's saying, you're going to see that on the caller side of things. And there's going to be, right, it's one thing to speak with a voice experience that is able to really help you complete a lot of actions and get you on and off the phone and back to your day. But it's another thing when you can start to inject a little bit of personality and you can start to not only get a checkbox on a to-do list, but you can get a chuckle from somebody along the way and you can start to build that brand loyalty. So I think you'll see the wow moments at every group that the business will be touching. And then I think, right, the 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 highest level of it, right, we're, we're talking about customer service and customer experience for consumers that are interacting with, with brands. We're not sitting here and saying that we're putting people on Mars or we're solving cancer or doing any of those Uh, like saving the world sort of things. But what we are doing is we're solving a problem that every single person that the four of us know that everybody is listening knows has felt this problem, right? We have all had this negative experience and it's just going to be a lot of fun to exponentially make a dent into what is so widely understood and, and laughed at and yeah, start to start to change that narrative and yeah, all that fun stuff. Love it. Thank you all for joining us on this episode and for spending a good chunk of time out of your day with us because this is going to be an awesome episode. If you are listening to this podcast, please subscribe. Give us a rating. Let us know what you want to hear. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us for the show.